Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode number two of our math series, specifically talking about students with disabilities and what we can do to help and support them, both with math at their level and then also math at the grade level. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about seven routines that I think you should have or consider or kind of be able to check the box like, yep, this student can do that. We don't need this routine anymore. I am going to just say right now that I have seven routines that I think we need to consider. However, I may come back and edit this and add more if later I'm thinking, you know, I really think this is an important routine or two years from now if I think, man, this would be really important. So here's the intro where I'm saying seven. But if you listen to this and it's like two years away and you're like, she just listed like nine things. Okay, good. I thought of a couple more and I'm just going to tack them on to the end um, if and when those things arise. Because sometimes I read something or try something or see a student and I'm like, man, I really need to add this to my routine. Or I, and, and they're always changing. And I think that is a good thing that from year to year, our routines are growing and changing and evolving. Or at least for me, I guess I'm using the word hour, like I'm in your room and I know. But for me, my routines change as I, as I read something and think, oh, I do have kids with that weakness. Or, oh, I should change that. So I'm gonna share with you my seven today. And I hope that in time, I have other things that I think would be really good to add too, just because I'm always growing and learning and changing. So today, my first routine is a number sense routine. And that routine is going to vary depending on what age range you teach, what cognitive level they are at, just there will be so many factors. So I am going to share some examples and um, feel free to adapt and move that to fit the needs of your students. But in general, I think we need something covering number sense. And I have an example from my second year of teaching. And at that time, I think I was probably about 25. And at that time, I was teaching, I was co-teaching with a fifth grade teacher who was old enough to be my mom. And I would guess she was maybe 50 years old. I don't know exactly, but definitely she was older than me. And the students in her room were unable to tell who was older. Even knowing I was 25 and she was maybe 50, even hearing those numbers, I am 25 and she is 50. Now her gen ed kids could, but some of the special ed students that we shared didn't know who was older. And a lot of times they would be like, well, she looks older than you. Okay, geez, thanks. If I look like a 50-year-old woman at 25, I'm pretty upset with myself. However, hearing those numbers 
they they had no idea who was older. So that kind of shows that lack of number sense. They really don't understand what does 25 represent? What does 50 represent? No connections that 25 is literally two times the, or 50 is literally two times that 25 years old. She was twice as old as me. And they were struggling to see those connections. Um, sometimes, maybe depending on their number, since you might be able to say, would you rather have $25 or $50? Would you rather have 25 pieces of candy or 50 pieces of candy? Sometimes you can paint it that way and they're like, oh, well, 50 is bigger. But that number sense is really shown by just understanding this is bigger, this is smaller. So that kind of at the surface level, you could start that not with big numbers like 25 and 50, but you could also start that with some smaller numbers, which is bigger, three or 10, which is bigger, seven or two, some of those types of numbers. For me, I use a hundreds chart a lot with my students. And when I use my hundreds chart, I always tell my kids to put their finger on the biggest number and then we're going to count up because I don't want to count up seven. I'd rather count up two. However, some of my kids who struggle with number sense don't realize which number is bigger. So they have like a 50-50 shot of, okay, which one, where am I going to put it on? My, you know, Where am I going to put my finger first? Because they don't know which number is bigger. So that's something that we need to teach. We need to practice and we need to review it over and over and over again. So some questions that you can ask your students, and again, adapt these to fit the needs and the age and the abilities of your kids. But you could ask them just, which is bigger? Which is smaller? Which is closer to 10? Is this number more than 10? Is this number less than 10? Maybe you forget the number 10 and you say, is this more than 50? Is this less than 50? Is this closer to 100? Is this closer to 50? Um, is it closer to 50 or 100? Maybe if you gave them the number 80 or the number 65, is it closer to 50 or closer to 100? To make things just a little bit more challenging for them or for students who are older, maybe they're grasping which is bigger or smaller or it's closer to 10, it's closer to 100, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe you could give them a problem that is written correctly and a problem that is written incorrectly. For example, if I had the problem 36 plus 24 equals 60 written on the board, and then I had the problem, well, really the same problem, different answer, 36 plus 24 equals 510, which really includes a common mistake where they didn't carry the one, and instead now they have this big number like 510, when the answer should be 60 because you would carry the one in 10. So I might give both of those and I might say, here's problem A, here's problem B. Here's problem A, here's problem B and make it quick. We aren't trying to give them time to solve the problem. We're giving them time to look at those and see 36 and 24. Those are not big numbers. They're not over 100. They're not even over 50. Would it make sense that it would have an answer of 510? No, 
That doesn't make sense. And we're wanting them to kind of use what they know about numbers and what they know about math to see if that answer makes sense. I often think the same about um, like division problems versus multiplication problems. And, you know, he divided them into equal groups. You know, he, maybe he had 12 pencils and he divided them into 30 into three equal groups. How many does he have in each group? Would it make sense that the answer is 36? No, he only had 12 pencils. How do you suddenly have 36? So some of those things are number sense. We have to see what makes sense with the numbers that we're given. And that could go as simple as which is bigger or smaller. Is it close to this number or this number? What makes sense as far as an answer? All of those kind of fall in that number sense category. And you should have some type of daily routine built in to whatever it is that you might be doing. Um, for me, a lot of times when we work out an addition problem or subtraction problem for that matter, and we say the answer, we take turns every day sharing how to say that number or how to say that answer in words. Because I don't want you to say one, two, three, or the answer is four, five, six. I want you to be able to say it's 123 or it's 456. And that takes practice. I think it takes them hearing and seeing what others are doing to really master that. So sometimes if say we had an answer 456, I might say, hmm, is that number closer to 400 or closer to 500? Is that number bigger or smaller than 100 or 300 or, or whatever? So you can practice some of those just in natural things that you're doing on a regular basis. So it doesn't have to be something that you reinvent the wheel, you recreate something. You can kind of incorporate this number sense aspect naturally. Maybe you could even ask them, um, how did, you know, does this make sense for an answer or see if you can catch me making a mistake? Things like that that naturally bring that number sense and they don't even know you're sneaking it on them. So definitely something to practice because some of our kids have it, but some of them really, really lack that ability to discern is this bigger or smaller. For me, I like to use a hundreds chart and we use a dry erase marker and we just start circling things on there or marking things out on there. Okay, here's eight. Is it closer to one or 10? Is it closer to five or 10? Whatever question you pose, you can use your hundreds chart if you give a number strategically. And by laminating them, or for me, I have some that um, really were left in my room um, and I love them. And I, we just use our dry erase marker and we circle it and we erase and then we try another one and circle and erase. We use that a lot for patterns, but you could definitely use it for that number sense understanding and awareness because a lot of our kids really lack that ability. Routine number two is an important one and something that some kids do naturally. But as we've discussed, we all are at different ability levels and we all have different math readiness and there are different things that just the the way in which our brain works that are going to either be a strength or a weakness. So routine number two is something that all of your kids may not need. 
But some of your kids, especially some of our lower level kids, for me, I'm thinking of a group of first graders who really, really struggle with this, and that is counting on. I think it is something that our kids need to practice on a regular basis, but it's either going to be hard and they're going to hate it, or it's going to be easy and they're going to think like, Mrs. Wilp, what are you bugging me with this for? It's easy because it comes so naturally. We need to target those kids where it is not naturally. There, it is, does not come so naturally for them. So I have a boy who, when we're just doing basic math facts, if it was, say, four plus three, he will count one, two, three, four on one hand. One, two, three on another hand. And then he'll use his fingers from one hand to touch the fingers on his other and then count to seven. He literally just counted that one hand is four. But guess what? He's going to count it again because maybe he lost a finger or maybe the number changed. I don't know. But he's going to count that again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then he'll say the answer is seven. And he's right. But is that the most efficient way to get there? Not really. So he and I have been working a lot on counting on. I like to start with five because five is something that they recognize. I have five fingers on this hand. What comes next? Six, seven, eight. Guess what? You just did five plus three. And it was so much faster. But this is a high level skill. It is not something that they develop overnight. And like I said, I like to start with five so that we can just pick up where we left off. However, it is something that their whole entire life, they have heard numbers start at one, one, two, three, four, and they carry on. They have never heard numbers starting at seven, but guess what? The sequence is the same. And so we practice that. That small group that I was talking about, it's actually, I only have two kids in that group right now. Um, both of them need that. So I have flashcards and I will just pull a flashcard and I'll say, oh, five, six, seven, eight. Or I'll have 10, 11, 12, 13. And we just say the next few numbers. It is hard. It takes practice. But let me tell you, they're getting better. And I don't think it's an inability. I think it is like they are such concrete thinkers that it is like, no, you start at one, one, two, three, four. And until you introduce the idea that it is okay to start at 11, it is okay to start at number eight, wherever you need to be, that's okay. But if we're talking about later using touch points or a hundred char or just even still using our fingers, but doing it more efficiently, especially numbers over 10, or sums over 10. So if we had nine plus seven, yeah, I can put up nine fingers, but where the heck am I going to get the seven from? <laughs> so our kids have to have this ability to count on. And for me, it is something that I have to show them. Now, if you were listening to episode number one, we talked a lot about that mental age versus chronological age. This is something that does not occur until that mental age is around seven years old. Now, we know we have a bell curve, right? Some kids are going to be a little ahead of the game. Some are a little behind. Some are right on track. So you might be like, well, I've seen kindergartners do this. Or this is on kindergarten dibbles. Yes, you're right. So don't get it stuck in your head. Oh, they can't even do it until seven. 
it can be mimicked earlier. It is something that if you show them and you teach them earlier, they can, but they are naturally going to pick that up around age seven. Now, remember, we're talking about averages, the average seven-year-old. What about the first grader who is seven, but has a cognitive disability? And we know their mental age is probably not the same as that chronological age. They're going to need that modeling. They're going to need you to show them and teach them and explain why the heck will we start counting at number four? Why would we start counting at number 13? Well, because I don't want to count to number 13 when I just counted 13, or I don't want to count those four fingers when I literally just counted those four fingers. So it's teaching them to be faster and more efficient and just becoming better mathematicians. But we have to kind of demonstrate that for them. Routine number three is one that they may not love, and I'm sorry about that, but we need practice writing numbers. So some of our kids writing numbers is difficult and they might be able to whip those answers out. They might be able to verbally tell you a lot, but we know that a big part of writing as they get older or a big part of math as they get older is that writing piece and being able to write and explain and answer things quickly. Um, so we need to practice it. And for a lot of our kids, they write numbers backwards, just like they write some letters backwards. And so we see two and three and nine backwards a lot, and they need practice with those. They need to see that number a lot, and they need practice writing that number a lot. So if you have students who are struggling with this, being able to have them stand a chalkboard is better than a dry erase board, but I know those are few and far between. We have one in our school and this is where I go if, if I need this or I have a student struggling with this. And you need to have them write that number as large as they can on the board. If we're talking a little first grader, don't write it literally the entire size of the board. They're never gonna be able to reach the top. But write it kind of as big as their height will allow and let them trace it, trace it, trace it over and over using more of their large motor skills than their fine motor skills or their gross motor instead of fine motor. Give them the opportunity to write it really big. Have them trace it. Let their hand get dirty with that chalk. You can wash it whenever we're done. I hate chalk on my hands too, but write it, write it, write it, trace it, write it, do whatever you have to do to let them use some of those large motor skills. Let them feel what that letter feels like or experience what it feels like with their large motor skills and then let them practice it in, with their fine motor skills with actually writing with a pencil. Um, even for me, I think this is probably the shortcut. This is a little bit of a cheat, but what is, what is wrong with on their name tag having a model, having numbers one through 10 or one, zero through nine so that they can copy some of those things? A lot of times I have a boy in mind where writing is so hard for him and he oftentimes will be like, can't you just do it? You know, I know. And I'm like, buddy, I know, but you've got to be able to write it. Or he'll ask me, can you write a four and I'll copy it? Because he knows I'm not going to let him get out of it. But he will ask for that. And that's okay to have a model. And for some of our kids, they do just need more exposures to that. And so in time, that model can be faded away. But it's okay to have a model or have them know where a resource is in the room. 
let them practice over and over. It's not fun. You can do your best to make it as fun as possible, but sometimes writing is just a challenge. We don't always love it, but we do need to practice it. Routine number four is one that we are actually going to dive into in a later episode, and that is math facts, okay? We know how important memorization of math facts are. We know how much that's going to make their life easier or much, much harder in down the road. So we know it needs to be practiced. So build in a routine of how are you going to practice those on a regular basis? For me, I have a group where all we're working on are math facts. And so for them, it's really more about understanding how to use a hundreds chart, understanding are we getting bigger? Are we getting smaller? That kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your kindergarten or first graders who are working on some of those basic level math skills. That's not it. Let's think about some second or third graders who are working on two or three digit addition and subtraction. They need help with math facts, even though they're working on more complex skills. So for me, what I do is we work through our little workbook and we do some addition and subtraction with regrouping. We work on time or money or graphing or some of these other skills. But then at the end, the last couple of minutes of our group, we work on math facts. And it's not to stress them out. It's not to add anxiety of like, oh, math facts, do we do them or do we not? Or math fa- time to math fact tests are so bad. I get it can add stress and anxiety. But remember, our small group is a safe place to practice things that we know are going to come up. Some schools do a lot of time tests, some don't. Or maybe it's computerized now instead of the old mad minutes that we did long ago. But in general, there's some timed fluency aspect and give them a safe place to work on that. So for us, we're working on how can we use our hundred chart more efficiently? Or how can I look for problems that I do know, like plus zero, plus one, plus two, things that I can count on really quickly with? And just practice kind of some of those overall goals that we're working on. So take time to see how can you incorporate math facts? Maybe it's not even a time test. Maybe it's a flashcard game, or maybe it's something that you put on the, um, your smart board or your overhead and they do some type of fluency fitness or whatever to get them moving and seeing some of those math facts. In our math fact episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about different ways that you can break up the math fact sets or, you know, are we going to talk about our ones or our twos or this or that? Break them up however you want, but spend some time working on math facts, whether it be addition or multiplication. Spend time working on some of those facts and then talk a lot about how if I know addition facts, that helps me with my subtraction. If I know multiplication, that helps me with my division. You could spend time exclusively working on those as well, but if you're like me, I run out of time. I don't have time to cover all of those things in a time math fact setting. Let's practice one, and then talk about how that's going to help me with other things, which again, we'll talk about a little bit more in the next episode. Who math facts. Okay, I've got to move on from math facts. I think I could probably talk about them all day long. Okay, so number five, the fifth routine that you should have is to talk about part, part, whole. 
Now, I'll be honest, I used to think part, part, whole was kind of dumb. Like, why would I draw this little chart or why would I use this little chart to figure out what, you know, whatever. I thought it was just like new math and making it hard. And I think it's because I didn't use part, part, whole as a kid. I didn't, I didn't know how to teach it or how to use it. Now, years later, I'm kind of seeing that advantage. So if a student can understand that part, part, whole could represent addition or subtraction, we can use it in a variety of ways. It becomes a very powerful tool when we're talking about word problems. So if we can teach kids that, hey, this word problem just told us the whole amount, we're not going to be adding, guys, because it just told us the whole. We are going to be figuring out a part because guess what? It told us the whole. Or we can be thinking, oh, you know what? It told me about these blue markers and it told me about these pink markers, but it didn't tell me about the whole. I don't know how many. So it gives kids a way to kind of visualize what's happening. It gives them a place to put information. I've talked a lot about reading, um, like just kind of being able to take information that has been given and your brain needs a place to put it. And if your brain doesn't have a place to put it, it goes nowhere. It's forgotten. So with math, it's the same thing. We have to have a way in our brain or on paper to organize that information so that we know what the heck are we doing. And then once they understand that part, part, whole, like, okay, well, I know the two parts, so I guess I'm going to add. I know one part and one whole, so I guess I'm going to subtract. It really is that easy. So this is not something that I do every single day. I'll be honest. This is something that I do once every five days in our um, math intervention book when we're talking about our word problem. It helps to organize us. Are we going to add or are we going to subtract? Well, what did part, part, whole tell us? Well, we knew this or we didn't know that. So we're going to add or we're going to subtract. So it is not something that I originally used, but over the years, I'm like, this really is something that I can use over and over and over again. In the last week, we have also been working on um, taking our iReady diagnostic. And I had one little girl drawing on her scratch paper, a part, part, whole box. And, you know, she's wanting reassurance. And she's like, Mrs. Wilp, am I going to add these two? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? And she said, well, I think I know both of the parts. So I think I'm going to have to add them to find the whole. And I'm like, ah. Okay, yeah, you get it. So it's something that, yes, we're doing in our group and it's very guided and supported. But if you do that enough, now here at the end of the year, she's able to do that on her own. She's able to draw that. And eventually, I don't think she'll need to draw it. I think eventually she'll be like, okay, I know this part. I know this part. I'm going to add these two. Or I, you know, she's, she's going to be able to do that mentally instead of drawing it on paper. But it's like, first, you know nothing. Then you can do it with support. Then you can draw it on paper. And later, you're going to be able to do it just on your own. Like, in my mind, as an adult, I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, I have seven chairs at my table. And there are five kids in this group. So I technically have room for two more students in this particular group. And in that group, I have seven spots at my table. But only six chairs are full. So I only have one spot. I can do that without drawing it on paper. I can just stick that number in my head. I know the whole. 
I have this part and I have that part. I have this part, so I need that part. It becomes something that we can just do on our own. And as adults, we're doing that all the time, whether we're thinking of it in that way, do I know the part or do I know the whole? But it's something that we can totally teach to our kids. All right, I'm gonna use number six as my springboard to talk about word problems which I pretty much hate, okay? So we do need word problems in our daily routine, okay? And we need to help our kids do a variety of things. And in fact, I'm gonna dedicate a whole episode to word problems, not because I love them, not because they're fun, but because they are so hard for kids of all ages and abilities. I don't care who you are, at some point in your life, you've probably struggled with a word problem. So it's something that we all need to work on. At a young, kind of in that concrete age of I need things right in front of me, visually represent those as much as you can. Again, I'm going to dive into this a little more about all the skills that we need for word problems, but represent it as much as you can. So for me, I like to have my kids stand up. Okay, guys, stand up. We're going to act out this word problem. So-and-so has four markers. So-and-so has six markers. How many markers do we have all together? She has 10 stickers, they have 10 stickers. We know all of the things that are used in word problems. Crayons, stickers, balls. Keep those in your room so that you can be like, bam, you have four stickers. Bam, you have five stickers. Guess what? That is exactly what this word problem said. Or she has four blue balls. He has seven red balls. How many balls are there all together? Guys, the same stuff is used over and over and there is no reason why you can't have a supply of some of those things to say, here you go, here you go. How many do you have all together? Oh, you have 10 all together and I'm gonna take your four? Whoop, I just took your four. How many do you guys have all together? There's no reason why you can't work some of those things out. Uh, for me, even, I'll say, oh, we're reading about birds. Stand up, guys. You guys are all birds today. Okay, well, we have 10 birds. All right, 10 birds. Three of you fly away. Go. You're, you're out of here. How many birds are left? Visualize it. Show them. Act it out. Be dramatic, but let them see it. And for me, if I have a group of seven kids, guess what? All of my word problems are probably going to be something. Seven birds five birds, something that is doable with the group. So use that kind of to your advantage and be prepared to act out some of those things. Show them. They'll see it subtraction when you start dramatically saying, you're out, you're out, oh, goodbye, you're gone. What do we do, guys? We just subtracted. Oh, you guys get back over here. We, we added you to our group. Oh, did, what do we do? We added, oh, you're right, I just gave away the answer, you know. Be dramatic. Show them what are we doing with those word problems. It could be toys. It could be food. It could be candy, whatever. I also love erasers. And so sometimes if it is something that is big, you know, like maybe it's 25. Well, I only have groups of 10 or less, usually about five to seven. So I obviously am not going to have 25 kids to say, okay, everybody stand up. Well, then we can get out my erasers. And we love Target erasers. We have them for all seasons. We have food. We have all kinds of things. So use that. Then the kids can physically move those on their own. Because maybe sometimes it's a distraction to everybody get up and these birds fly away. Okay. 
but there are some situations where maybe it would be a good idea to have those erasers, to have something that they can move or touch. I have one group at the very end of the day, and a lot of times we use cereal. Here are Fruit Loops. Okay, we're gonna use our Fruit Loops for our word problem today, then we're gonna have a snack. So use whatever. You know your kids, you know what they need, but find a way that they will like where they can visually see it. Because if we're thinking back to kids with cognitive disabilities, kids with reading disabilities, they could possibly just be struggling to be able to visualize what they're seeing, to be able to process all that information. But when they're seeing it and doing it and experiencing it, they get it. So give them the opportunity to do that. Now, that is not the one and only thing that you can or should or might need to do for word problems, but it is a great first step to start allowing your kids to visualize what, what is a word problem? Why are they intimidating and what are you going to do? With some of those bigger numbers or even with smaller numbers, part, part, whole. They can start to see, we knew the part, we knew the whole. Guess what? Because you left, that was part. You guys stayed here, that's another part. So we can really start to see the who, what, when, where, when we visually represent those word problems for our students. Routine number seven is really for some of our older kids. Like in my mind, I'm thinking third, fourth, fifth grade who they know how to do several operations or they're working on several operations, but that doesn't mean that they don't confuse the two. So for example, my kids, we just recently, we had been working, we kind of go back and forth between addition, subtraction, addition, subtraction all year long. That way, it's not like we worked on addition for three months and you're great at addition, and then we do subtraction for three months and you're great at subtraction, but I give you addition and it's like you've never seen it before. So we work for a couple weeks on addition, a couple weeks on subtraction, back and forth, back and forth. So by this point of the year, especially, they're getting pretty good at understanding addition and subtraction. And what do we do for addition? What do we do subtraction? However, it never fails that first week that we're doing addition, they wanna subtract those numbers. Or the first week that we're doing subtraction, they wanna add those numbers. So a really good routine to get into or a good habit is check the sign. Are we adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing? What does that tell me about my number? Is it going to get bigger? Is it going to get smaller? So just kind of a starting point. What do we do? We always check the sign. And as I was reading and looking through some of my books to prepare, like what am I gonna talk about? Where am I even gonna begin with some of this? I ran across a little chart and I'm just going to, in the blog post of this um, or for this episode, I'm just going to show a picture from this book. It's called Teaching Mathematics to Students with Learning Disabilities. It's a really great book. The one that I have is used, and I think it is so old. Um, this particular one is the fourth edition, and it is copywritten in 2001. So it's old, guys. Okay. Anyway, and even before that, 1989. Okay, so... It's an older book, but it is a good one. And so with this particular chart that I'm gonna show, all of the math facts are written in one column on the left-hand side of the page. But then there's a column for add, subtract, multiply, and divide. At my level, I would really probably only need the addition and subtraction. So it could really be three columns instead of five. So column one has 
the problem. And then the other columns are where they're actually going to work it out. So in the first example, it's 48 times six. They don't work it out in that first column. They have to copy the problem that practices some of those visual spatial skills, copying, lining numbers up, getting them in the correct spot. But they also have to put it in the multiply column so that their brain thinks, oh, we're multiplying, multiplying, okay. This is what we're gonna do. Our number's gonna get bigger. I have to use my multiplication chart if that's what I need. Or I'm going to be counting by threes or counting by fours or counting by sixes or whatever we happen to be doing. And then the next problem on the page is 54 minus 19. Well, 54 minus 19, they're going to have to put in the subtraction column. And guess what? Subtraction, okay, that means my number's going to get smaller. Again, this is for students who are a little higher but it makes them check that sign. Now to me, you wouldn't have to do this every time, but it is a good practice to let your kids start seeing. We have to check the sign because I could do it all perfectly, but if it was addition and I subtracted, it's wrong. I could do the whole subtraction problem correctly, but it's for nothing. It, you know, you've got to get the right sign. So practice checking those. For me, again, that's not something that you have to like change what you're doing. Just point it out whenever you're talking about it and ask questions. Ooh, does this mean it's gonna get bigger or does this mean it's going to get smaller? And this gives you the opportunity in the moment to correct them or point out, no, 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 addition means we're gonna get bigger. Or yes, you're right. So on our hundreds chart, we're going to be going backwards. Our numbers are going to be getting smaller. So it just gives you kind of like a pre-teaching or a front loading of information so that they're ready and they're prepared to solve that. And then in time, when you've done that so many times, it becomes second nature to them. But at the same time, if we never say, oh, guys, this whole page is addition or, oh man, this whole page is subtraction. If we're not pointing it out, they're not even paying attention. They're just gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna get this wrong. You know, oh, I got that one wrong. Why did I get that one wrong? Oh, cause I did it all wrong and they fix it later. But they're not actively looking for which is it. They're waiting on a teacher to tell them or they're waiting on somebody else to point it out or eh, whatever, I'll just get it wrong and then I'll copy off her and I'll go on from there. So make it a habit, make it a routine to check is it addition or subtraction? Is it multiplication? What the heck are we doing here? So I can get the right answer. All right, so quick recap, because I know I have talked for a very long time. This might be a record for longest episode. So number one, number sense. Practice number sense in some way. Number, is this number bigger, smaller? Is it closer to this, closer to that? Um, counting from mid-sequence. So if I am at seven, can I say seven, eight, nine, ten? Writing numerals, especially those that we frequently write backwards. Even for some of my kids, they write it. It's not backwards, but the number four even is hard. I just kind of thought about that. We need practice. It needs to become second nature. We need to practice math facts regularly. We know that they're important, um, but we also know that it's going to take time for them to master. Part, part, whole, I think you've already heard that that has a special place in my heart. It's important, I think it helps with so many things, which leads us to number six, word problems. We need to work on word problems. Show them, even use simple numbers or use uh, numberless uh, problems. Take the numbers out. There are some birds and some birds fly away. 
What are we doing here? Oh, well, we're taking some away. So visually represent it. Let them see it, feel it. Use toys, use stickers, use balls, use whatever it is that you have handy so that they can actually physically do it. And number seven, practice. Finding, is this addition or subtraction? So in our next episode, we will be talking about math facts. So I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.